On this episode, I'm in the room with Amanda Jenkins discussing her book, Confessions of a Raging Perfectionist. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 20. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. If you're new to the podcast, I want to say welcome. I have a simple goal to bring you in the room for what I hope are interesting and helpful conversations with a diverse group of guests, including pastors, professors, authors, and artists. Today, I'm in the room with Amanda Jenkins. She's the author of the book, Confessions of a Raging Perfectionist. In our conversation, we discuss how she wrote a book as a mother of four kids, what truly drives our desire for perfection, and how to fight through it to true freedom in Christ. Amanda is vulnerable, humble, and fun. I had so much fun sitting down with her, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening, so come on in the room for my conversation with Amanda Jenkins. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on in the room. I appreciate it. For people that don't know, if we could just start with uh, your background, where you're from, and kind of just brief narrative of your life and how you've gotten to where you are now. Sure. I grew up in a Christian home, a great Christian home, great parents who did not put pressure on me, which is of note considering uh, how I am now, who I am now. Um, But yeah, I went to youth group growing up. I went to Christian college where I met my husband and uh, have lived a fairly good uh, Christian life, which is why I was so surprised by what God showed me about my heart in the process of um, writing in the last couple of years. Yeah. So I'm really pumped to talk about this book. Um, I am curious about your process into publishing because I checked online. You have a blog and Twitter, both of which have not been updated (laughs) since April of last year. So you're not a perfectionist in social media. So that's good. My contractual obligations were fulfilled. Okay. And that did not, was not a personal uh, desire for me to maintain that. So how did you get into publishing then? Because typically now, I mean, I know enough about it now to know that typically new authors are having to bring existing platforms to Mm -hmm. the table. Yeah. But you don't seem to have a huge online platform. How did you end up getting published? How'd the book come to be? Um, I think that I had a few, uh, helps. I, I know James McDonald, which is helpful in their eyes. Um, and he's done a little bit of stuff on walk in the word, his radio ministry. Um, and then my father-in-law is Jerry B. Jenkins, who wrote the left behind series and has a large platform. So I think that they saw my contacts as being beneficial. Um, but then they also hadn't seen anything like it. I don't, it's really, it was a journal. Yeah. Um, and it said, I say things that people don't say, yeah. um, which was terribly scary for me at first. But um, I think it was a mixture of the two. Uh, and I think that when people have really different stuff mm-hmm. about different subjects and then they have a different voice, that helps, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about your, I'm always curious in people's process with writing because it seems to be so different for everybody. So what was your process like? When did you write? Where did you write? You have a mom of four kids, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. were they hanging off you as it was going on? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I um, Like I said, this, I, I didn't, this was a journal for me. I did not start out uh, saying I want to be a writer. That wasn't a thing for me. Okay. Um, God was massively convicting me and through a number of different events, I sort of yielded. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, there was so much, it felt overwhelming to me. Yeah. And so I started going, okay, I need to write some of this down and sort through it. Um, and because I'm married to a filmmaker, 
Um, and I was watching really good television at the time. I yeah. sort of framed it in stories. So I would take something that he was showing me about me, sin uh -huh. in my life, and then I would tell it through a story of a friend who didn't struggle with that or reminded me of that. And my rule was always, I don't write negative things about anyone else except for myself. Okay. Um, but it just helped me frame it to see it through life and friendships and, um, and story. I don't know. It just helped me. Yeah. So that sort of was my process. But I would sit down when the kids were napping um, or in their little quiet times and write a paragraph or a page at a time as it was kind of tumbling out of me uh -huh. because of my time with the Lord. So if I had sat down to go, I'm going to write a book now, uh, I wouldn't have written yeah. a book. It was just solely the Lord showing me things, telling me things. And so at what point did it switch it. and you decided like, no, there really is a book here. Right. I didn't really switch. Um, my husband um, read it and uh -huh. he was like, this is a book. You're writing a book. <laughs> and I was like, no, these are super private things. This yeah. is not a book. Um, and the Lord started showing me that and convicting me like you not only need to go through this, you need to share it. And I really rebelled against yeah. that. I didn't, um, I didn't want to be the girl sort of talking about my postpartum insecurities or how much I overspent mm -hmm. at Target while like Beth Moore is yeah. teaching important things. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. That was yeah. embarrassing to me, but he really uh, impressed on me that we're stuck in our culture. This is where women are stuck. We're doing these studies and we're growing and we're learning in, in scripture and in the Lord. And then we're stuck totally vain and were uh, greedy and materialistic and insecure and all these other yeah. things that came out as I was writing. Well, the book's called Confessions of a Raging Perfectionist, but you say in the intro that it's not necessarily about perfectionism right. per se. Um, it's really a book about idolatry, right. I think, more than anything else. And so I would just wonder in your own head how you think about defining idolatry. You know, there's many people that still view it as like something that happened a long time ago mm -hmm. or in other religions and places, literal little idols that we bow down to. So when you think about when you're writing this book, defining idolatry, how do you conceive of that in your own head? The things I pursue, the things I pursue more than I was pursuing the Lord, really the things I love more than I loved the Lord. Mm -hmm. I, it's all started for me around vanity and we were living okay. in LA and LA is the land of, of the beautiful, or at least people who want to be the beautiful. And sure. so they either pay for it or work out to get it yeah. or you know purchase it or whatever. Um, and I had had three babies in less than four years uh -huh. and I was striving. I was wanting to keep up with the people around me. And so God was really impressing on me. Um, he wanted to talk to me about it yeah. and I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. And so I just ignored him and um, he forced the issue and it wasn't, it didn't end up just being vanity. I yielded and we talked, we, we dealt with vanity and then it moved on to something else and something else. And, and what it was is look at all the things that you um, have really exalted in your life. Things that are so important to you, things that I would rather get to than spend time with the Lord. I mean, that just was the truth of it. Yeah. I wanted to get up and work out more than I wanted to get up and spend time with the Lord. Yeah. I wanted to go buy a new rug uh, more than I wanted to uh, steward my money well for the yeah. Lord. So it was very much about what was most important to me. Yeah, that's good. Uh, have you read Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods? Did you read that about? No. He, it's, it, your book reminds me a lot of it. Surprise, just written in a very different voice <clears throat> in that he deals with heart idols and he defines idolatry as anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Right. 
And wow. I just heard echoes of that yeah. throughout your entire Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, when you're defining yourself by the stuff that you're doing or, um, or how you look or yeah. how well your kids behave, um, that is shifting sand because that, totally. that changes. And so when he was convicting me about vanity to begin with, I actually had those thoughts. Like if I don't look the way I want to look, yeah. I won't be who I want to be. It was very central yeah. to how I was defining myself. Um, as you think about yourself and the, I mean, people, you know, but people you've met, I'm assuming because of the book, <clears throat> are there particular perfections or idols that you see coming up over and over again in people as you're having conversation, especially I would think post the book coming out, you see the same things coming up culturally, maybe that people are facing right now. Yeah. I mean, look at your Facebook feed. I mean, it's really, um, especially for women, um, but men too, what people are posting. So yeah. whether they're posting about the dessert that they just made, the, uh -huh. the homemade um, salsa from their garden or yeah. a picture of their beautiful kids in a moment of um, perfect obedience and yeah. hair and everything is in place. Um, it, women tell me all the time, like I had to get off Facebook because I can't handle yeah. uh, comparing myself to the things I'm seeing. And so I think um, the super common obvious things are the material, the physical, the resume that people are trying to build, um, kids' behavior, surface things like that. And the first half of my book, every chapter is a new vice or idol. Uh -huh. And it was, it, you can kind of see that it goes down uh, the levels as yeah. I go. And um, the second half of the book, I actually thought I was kind of writing a leaflet. Like I was thinking, this can't be published because it won't yeah. be long enough. I'm, my sins are only, you know, I can count on my hand. Yeah. And then as we got deeper, the Lord was showing me how pervasive yeah. um, my image, the the uh, how much I cared about my image, how pervasive that was. Yeah. Whether it was how I looked, or strangely, how I shared my testimony. That was the weirdest chapter for me. Yeah. Is that I was trying to present my Christian life a certain way because I had fooled myself into thinking this will reach more people. If right. I have it together, if I'm an in shape, yeah. great kids, you know, uh, great marriage, if all this stuff is in place, then people will be drawn to the Lord through me. I mean, what, that's just so flawed. Yeah. Um, so even my testimony had become self-absorbed and, um, and vain and shallow through yeah. my whole, you know, my, all my wrong priorities. Before we started, you said when you're doing radio and stuff, you're having a good number of men that are calling in yeah. as well. And so I'm curious, maybe some of the differences that you see in the perfectionism or the idols that men pursue versus women. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that your book is, I mean, it's not, I would argue that it's not just for women by any means, because mm -hmm. I really grew from it. The cover's pink, oh. which is, you know, <laughs> most men aren't super fired up about that. You gotta be real that. secure. You gotta be super secure. And I book. read it in a cigar club. <laughs> so that was the epitome of security, I felt. Um, but what differences do you see between men and women? Yeah, I think women, um, our original go-to tends to be looks or home. Yeah. I think men, their call, the calls that I've gotten from men have been largely about work okay. and, you know, their resume. Yeah. Um, that's true for women too. I just think it's a little bit of a different order. Uh, but men, it seems like have enormous stress as um, in cultivating their identity as far as like, what does my resume say? What yeah. is my job? How much money do I make? Those kinds of things. Yeah. So what do you, I'm curious what you think about, uh, so you're not on social media a ton. Um, so that might be an answer to this question, but what do you think about the mommy bot blog thing and Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter and Facebook and the way that you talk about comparison, mm -hmm. think of the introduction or the first chapter and comparison is such a problem. It mm -hmm. always leads to yep. one of two places, neither of which are Maybe usually good. Problem, yeah. Um, so, I mean, what do you think about 
social media. Like, what do you think about as far as how do, how do, how do people take in and perceive Mm -hmm. social media, which is largely people's highlight reels? Right. Yep. Totally is people's highlight reels. Yeah. Yeah. So how do, how do you do that? Well, and then how do you, as a person who would be posting to social media, what should we be careful of? That makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I go through the mental exercise, first of all, when I read somebody's um, blog or I look at a picture to imagine um, the POV if you just turned the camera, you know, 90 degrees. Everybody creates this beautiful space, whether it's, you know, talking about how they parent or whether it's a picture or whatever it is. Um, It's like you said, a highlight reel. Uh And and so I always try to go through the mental exercise of um, what is is reality probably, you know? But um, I do, I, I don't want to sound judgy because I think that there's a lot of great material out there, but mm-hmm. I do think we've gotten into a, a mindset in our culture where um, we have to present more than ever before, not only when we go to church now on Sunday morning, but every day of our lives, we could be posting and telling people what we're doing. Yeah. And I think there's a pressure to keep up with that. And so my, blo- my blog, when I had to write it, cause I had to write it for my book, uh-huh. um, my first blog was, I'm not going to write about how awesome I'm. I'm going to write how awesome I'm not. And it's going to be my exercise to keep myself honest and humble. And so I would write about things I struggled with on a daily basis. Um, And that just, for me, it kept me in a good space to kind of refuse the comparison. Not only am I not going to compare, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to tell you how I'm struggling. I needed to do that because it's so easy to fake it. Yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If so, I want to ask you to help me make it as easy as possible for other people to find it on iTunes. And to do that, we have to increase our visibility, and that happens through listener reviews. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes, and leave a short review. It's that simple. Such a small price to pay for this great content. Every review makes a huge difference, so keep spreading the word, and thanks so much for your support. Now back to the conversation. I think one of the things that's interesting about sin in general, but idolatry in particular is that the deeper you go, the more you realize it's there. Yeah. So for someone who might be a little bit more on the front end of that journey, or maybe even in listening to this is the first time they've even thought about perfectionism as a problem or idolatry in their life. What are some warning signs that you tell people to look for? Like these might be some signs that this is an issue that you're struggling mm. with. Um, if you don't like uh, spontaneous pop-ins at your house, oh, you yeah. know, if you feel like you have to look a certain way before you go out the door, you can't just, you know, my husband would say, why can't you just run to the store without mascara on? Uh-huh. Um, little things like that. When you get mad at your kids for how they misbehave, if that, when that's more important to you than shepherding their hearts, you yeah. know, little, just all the surface cues that we're so concerned with how we're yeah. coming across to people for sure. That's where I started. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really admired about your writing was you really open up about family life, which is hard for people to do in general, but specifically the stories surrounding your youngest daughter who suffers from autism, Mm -hmm. um, and then adopting your son from Thailand. And I think it's interesting how God allow has allowed two circumstances in the life of someone who's naturally bent toward perfectionism Mm -hmm. that you had so little control over. Right. And I find that interesting because I see that in my own life as mm-hmm. well. And so <clears throat> how have you allowed these difficulties to cultivate dependence on God mm-hmm. rather than being angry at him? Because mm-hmm. as a pastor, I could point to more people that shake their fist at God when sure. those things happen rather than allowing it to become a part of their discipleship. Yeah, I for sure shake my fists at God. Okay. Um, I just don't stay there. Okay. So um, yeah, our, our third born... Uh, was autistic and is autistic. Mm -hmm. And um, 
for sure nothing is perfect mm-hmm. at that point. And there was a lot of times when I would be embarrassed in public and want to tell everybody like, this is happening because not because I'm a bad mom, but because, yeah. you know, she's got issues, which is yeah. appropriate, yeah. not loving. Yeah. Um, and so I struggled a little bit that way, but we worked so hard um, with her that I think I sort of got away with for a little while thinking I was such a great mom. Mm. I think that it actually, the autism set me up for my experience in adoption. Uh, Cause I thought, gosh, if I can handle autism, yeah. I can handle anything. Yeah. And then my, um, my fourth child, who is our first adoption, uh, totally rocked my world. Yeah. Um, and I think the Lord was like, oh, you're so cute. You think you can handle things. Uh-huh. Let me bring you this kid yeah. um, who is an amazing kid. Um, but it's just not what you would imagine an yeah. orphan who you bring home at four would be. And so he was so difficult. And I mean, I'm the first moment I saw him, I knew I was like, Oh no, I'm out of my depth. Yeah. And I don't know why I knew maybe the Lord just pulled the bandaid off and I knew right away. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was a rough, it, it was a rough two years. We've had him for four. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, th- what do you say to, there's some people that are not, uh, I, perfectionists in an obvious sense in like every, I feel like I might be in almost every fast of my life. (laughs) And, uh, but then there's people, I think everybody struggles with it in certain ways, but, um, I know that there's people that have like pushed back on certain things about me or about the way that I steward my home life or something like that. And it's not necessarily about idolatry. It's just that they're they're wired very different. So I guess Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say some people are not necessarily perfectionists. They're lazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that there's a tension between these two extremes. I'll sure. say it so you don't have to. Uh, so disorganized, apathetic, like both those, like we have hyper-perfectionistic people like me and mm-hmm. then people that don't seem to care about anything right. on the other end. How how do you live in that tent? How should people live in that tension? Oh, work really hard to f- look at the log in your own eye, I guess. I mean, yeah. I, um, I think there are benefits to having a lot of energy and a lot of passion about getting stuff done. Um, but it so gets in the way of a lot of things that the Lord wants to teach us. So, um, my priorities were so out of whack because I'm how I'm wired. I don't necessarily have a lot of time to judge my husband. Who's not at all like me. Mm. I had a lot of time to judge my husband before the Lord really clubbed me on the head with like, no, you're a mess. Even if your kitchen's perfectly clean, Uh um, his priorities are different than mine. Uh, it helps me in a lot of ways, I think, to have the constant, um, the constant tension before my eyes because I'm, you know, he'll come home and put his shoes on the counter. He does that. (laughs) That's not what I would choose. It stretches me and I have to go, okay, what's more important? relationship or shoes, you know, it's that kind of thing. So I, I, I actually think it's helpful to have lots of different people and, um, it helps me to keep myself in balance for sure. More than if I was married to someone like me, we would be, you know, we would not be fun people. Yeah. (laughs) But you'd be very clean. (laughs) So that would be nice. You could eat off my floor, but I wouldn't be fun. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, I think one of the things you do a great job of is transparency And uh, I was thinking about it this morning that so much of helping people with their sin and shame and shortcomings demands opening up about our own. And you do that a lot in the book. And I just wonder if at points that was really difficult for you. I know early on you didn't think you were writing a book and then you decide, oh, I'm going to publish this. Right. What was that like for you? 
Well, I rebelled against it hugely in the beginning. And then the second half of the book, I was writing under a due date, you know, for a publisher. And Uh so I had to really, it had to be very prayerful because my, it sort of became my rule of thumb that if I cringed at the thought of writing something down, I knew that that was the thing God wanted me to write down. And so the process was hard and it was an act of obedience. But when it came out um, and people started to read it, I'm telling you, like maybe the only response I've gotten is thank you for writing this because this is me and I've struggled with this. And when you realize that like you are just the opposite of alone, that everyone around you has similar struggles, um, even with different personalities, the the struggles are so, so similar. Uh Um, It just, it's just not a problem anymore. It, I just, I got taught very quickly that there's encouragement and accountability in large numbers. And I've been in um, my, my biggest, uh, Danger zone is Target. I love Target. Yeah. And I still have to shop. You still have to buy groceries. And so yeah. I have to be very disciplined when I'm in Target. And I have run into people who've read my book and who have looked in the cart and said, hey there, uh, I get the milk, but do you need that candle? Like I've had people keep me accountable. At Target? At Target that is more awful. than once. And it's it's been amazing to yeah. watch what happens when we're honest. And that everything is bigger and scarier in the dark yeah. when it's out and in the light, it's just not as big of a deal yeah. and it's easier to work on, yeah. you know, once it's out. I, uh, authenticity is thankfully a big deal in our culture. I think that's a good thing. I think people desire that. Uh, unfortunately, I've met a lot of people who sort of baptize their sin and authenticity <laughs> because they've, you know, sure. they've named it. Right. It therefore makes it okay. Or somehow they have an out. So, um, how, how do we keep authenticity from becoming an excuse to just continue like, well, I've talked about it or I blogged about it or I Instagrammed about sure. it. And so now I'm good. Like that was my penance. How do you, sure. how, do, how do we not do that? Gosh, I don't totally struggle with that because I, I have such, one of my issues is pride. Okay. And so once it's out, I want to fix it because now people are watching. Yeah. So I, you know, it kind of feeds itself. I have to keep it very in check. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that we have to fight against that all the time. And when we see it, we have to call it out. You know, mm-hmm. I think we have to call each other out on that because yeah. um, we do live in a society that's like, it's how I feel. This is how I feel. So this is right. how it is. And that's the undercurrent of everything we do. Right. And we're constantly swimming upstream. So, you know, I have found scripture and this is like cliche to say, but it can't be more true. Like scripture is the way out. Mm-hmm. Miraculously, I would sit down, I would struggle with something. God would show me a bunch of scriptures on it and start to heal me and change me through scripture. And so I think that when you either look at it yourself mm-hmm. or you throw it at someone else yeah. who's got, you know, who's off on something, yeah. um, I just think you let God do that work. Yeah. What role has community played in this, in the identification and the killing of this sin? And what role did that play? I mean, obviously your own personal time with the Lord and in the word was mm-hmm. huge and necessary, but what role did other people play in that process for you? I think a huge role to keep me there. I mean, I think that we can have these really great spiritual highs with the Lord and then we move away from it just because that's our natural tendency. And so I feel like people have um, that, that accountability factor have kept me pursuing or have um, I mean, my kids will even say, mom, didn't you write about this? Like, it just is a huge accountability factor. Yeah. And so I think that community has kept me in that place yeah. versus what I would have done on my own, which is just kind of slid away. Yeah. I try to be mindful in preaching to practice appropriate disclosure. Mm. You know, I think it's important. Pulpit is not a confessional, a right. personal confessional by any means, but I think that, um, vulnerability builds reliability with the people who are listening uh, and Mm -hmm. relatability. Uh, It kind of kills that sort of the 
pastor, preacher, author, writers up on a pedestal. They're like me and mm-hmm. people like that. Um, but to be honest, like for me, transparency is not, at least with most things, is not super difficult. Ever mm-hmm. since I was young, I felt pretty comfortable talking about what I struggle with. But I know that um, this like idolatry can run so deep in my own heart that sometimes I even feel righteous about the fact that I'm good at transparency. Mm. Mm, sure. And I wonder if you relate <laughs> with that at yeah. all. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I fall into that when um, I see other people struggling. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had the benefit of a really long process with the Lord. I mean, four or five years where I've been on this yeah. journey with the Lord um, and someone will struggle to get there or answer a hard question or whatever. And I'll be thinking, oh, come on, you know? Yeah. And I, so it's my, it becomes its own, like, I'm good at transparency right. when the Lord forced me to be, you know, yeah. the Lord absolutely forced me to be, I never, I never would have done it. Yeah. Um, so for sure, I think self-righteousness comes in, mm-hmm. like, even when I'm not being vain, I'm so not vain. Oh my right. goodness. Like it's so vain to be right. not vain. Like we're so, I mean, without the Lord all the time yeah. and community keeping us accountable, we slip back. Yeah. So yeah, transparency can become its own. And I think there are other times where I've gotten in trouble for sharing too much where I've um, maybe made someone else feel uncomfortable, you know? So mm-hmm. I think you figure out those boundaries as you go. I'm a huge, I mean, I, I, I try as hard as I can to listen to the Lord in the moment. And mm-hmm. cause I think he's pretty faithful about establishing those boundaries when we're yeah. uh, talking to people or when we're sharing, um, you know, from the stage. So I, I do think that it, it can be, it can be misused, but I think that to say it can be misused is an easy excuse to not do it too. So I think people really need to be brave um, because I would rather screw up saying too much, quite frankly, than withholding. Because when I withhold, Satan has a field day with my thoughts, you know? So I know there's not really an easy formula, but for people who are listening that really relate to your book and to your message, how do you fight through this? Just practically. So word community, I know has been a big thing for you, but if you were to kind of give people, here's the two, three, four things that I would really recommend that you jump into, where, where should people start? Um, I always encourage people to start with total honesty with the Lord. Cause I think oftentimes even um, in prayer, we're not honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that when um, he brought vanity to my, um, into my site where like, this is a problem. You have to work on this. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know what life would look like if I wasn't pursuing those goals. And so I was really resistant. So I think, um, he broke that down. Um, he broke that down for me through a really embarrassing moment, um, where I was talking to a woman in a parking lot and, um, got into my car and was like sweating through my clothes, like only on one side. It was so mortifying. And God like cut into that moment. He just told me, you can fight me or you can get on board, but this mask is going to come off. And so I thought, okay, I have no choice or he's going to do something really awful, you know, to me in public. Um, so I sort of came to it in fear. Um, but I think that the first step is always, okay, Lord, show me, you're going to have to show me what it is you're talking about. That was my prayer in my, in my car that day with my sweat coming through my clothes. You got to show me, I don't know what you're talking about and you're freaking me out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but he's so faithful to do that. Like he's, and he's, and he only gives us the measure that we can handle. Uh, if we're honest with the Lord and we really want to know, um, he'll be faithful. And and then it's just taking those steps. And he didn't stop at vanity. I have 12 chapters in that book. And then people who know me say, when's the sequel coming out? You know, like <laughs> there's plenty of material there, Yeah. but it, it wasn't scary. Like the Lord just sweetly and quietly walked me through it and brought me to a place where I really do feel more free yeah. um, in all these areas of life. So on the writing end, do you have any other um, authors that on this subject matter that are 
helpful to you or like who are, who are some of the writers, speakers, teachers that you, that have really ministered to you? Hmm. That has definitely put me on the spot because I'm not a great reader. Ironically, I'm a okay. writer, not a reader. Um, I mean, quite honestly, James McDonald, his sermons. Yeah. Um, and he's, I think such a beautiful picture of, um, truth and grace. And mm-hmm. so you'll get pounded and you'll get loved in his yep. sermons. And that that's, I learned that way. Um, but you know, I, I, I am a big believer in scripture doing the work uh-huh. um, and not to say, don't go buy my book. Cause I'd love for you to go buy my book. But I really think that like the most you can learn is by sitting in scripture. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what was the most to me. I don't know if that, a, is that a, Dumb answer. The no, Bible. Not at all. The Bible is the most important. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I am such a Christian. Yeah, the Bible. <laughs> so spiritual. Uh, what about on the like? What for for people that do write? There's a growing number of. I mean, blogging and and social media. As much as we can criticize, it has provided this really beautiful free platform for people to be able to sure. learn to find a voice and all of that. So what? How? How? In the? How exactly did you go about? Are you just like a wicked gifted writer out of nowhere? God just gave mm. you that, or? I don't, I don't think I'm a writer. I think I'm a communicator. I, I am okay. a good communicator. So when I would and you sit have a background and write in that, no. Okay. So I would sit and write and think, okay, well, how would I say this? Uh-huh. Whenever I would, if I would get stuck, I would say, well, how, how would I say this? And yeah. then that's how I write. I, I, um, I mean, there's my father-in-law has a, um, a whole business that he started Christian writers guild where people can learn to write. If you love to do that. Um, I don't have a goal of writing. I've, I've happened upon a few books. Um, I have a couple children's books, but it's not something that I set out to do. So my, when people, and I get asked that a lot is how, how can I do this or what advice Mm -hmm. do you have? I think you've got to find your voice, like Mm -hmm. be yourself. The best thing you can do in your writing is to be different which is you because we're all unique and not try to be something else or to talk about things you don't know about. I mean, what's easier than writing a whole book about all my inside secrets. Nobody else knows. Nobody can do that, but me. Yeah. Do you prefer writing or speaking as a communicator? Writing. Cause I can do it in my living room and drink my tea and not be accountable to getting it right the first time, Yeah, you know? So, um, I do speak, but, um, yeah, writing, I like, I'm a perfectionist at heart. I like getting it perfect and I can delete. And There's way more control in writing. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So is there another book coming and maybe not a sequel to this, but do you have anything else that's on your heart or that you're thinking about? Um, I do. I do. I, um, I don't have a goal of being published. Um, but I'm, I'm writing about, um, the very real look at what it is to be a family with a prodigal. Um, and just that process kind of from everybody's different perspective. Um, but it's just kind of a passion project for good. me. We'll keep writing because it's good. And I would highly recommend male or female that people buy the book. I won't make you plug it. I'll plug it for you. <laughs> Look past the pink cover. Look past Do you like the, the old school cover. high school thing where you put like paper over it? <laughs> you can right. put your own stickers you your on own it or whatever. Cover. It'll be awesome. Yeah. But it's an excellent book. Thanks for talking with me about it. And I really appreciate you writing it. Thank you. Few people have the courage to face their idols at all, much less document the journey in a book. I'm amazed at Amanda's courage, and I'm so thankful for her example, and I hope you'll pick up her book and find a good friend that you can have this same type of honest dialogue with. That's it for this episode, but don't forget you can connect with me online uh, at both Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley, and on the blog, ryanhughley.com, that's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We're going to be back next week with episode number 21 and my conversation with Scott Sauls discussing his new book, Jesus Outside the Lines. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks so much for listening.